We have now gone through about three quarters of the Karanimetta Sutta. And as you can see by looking at what we've uh, examined so far, we've actually done a lot of purification. And even as we are wishing and cultivating loving kindness, there is still Buddha's encouragement towards purifying further. For it is really the anger and ill will, the fact that there is still enmity that was coming up that Buddha encourages us to look at, that once we cleanse that, you actually see there's a deeper concentration when you're actually meditating on this, a deeper concentration that formulates that because one is ab abandoning the remainder of ill will, long-standing anger, perhaps uh, really taking a deeper look at what makes us angry at people or gives us the perception of ill will towards others. That only at this point that you are actually further reducing uh, and abandoning one's uh, grip or hold uh, from the hindrances and from the defilements. And so you can see that when one does that, the capacity for loving-kindness becomes greater, that uh, you're really looking at the root, the root of uh, non-hate. And it is really, you can see that loving-kindness metta has this way of being the antidote uh, because you cleanse along the way, you purify, and you create a very deep understanding of how you formulate, how you cause ill will and anger to arise and therefore to look at it not to arise or to use certain things that the Buddha recommends in order for you to break through it, to actually reflect wisely on it, to understand that it leads to karmically bad things and these are the things that have brought us into this life again and again and again and even into the future and so when you continually practice loving kindness, you find that you begin to soften, you begin to unlock many of the things that are holding us to sansara, that we misapprehend and therefore our grip on sansara is a lot stronger. But when you start doing loving kindness, the grip on sansara loosens and that's a very, very good thing. And so with this next part of loving-kindness, Buddha is reminding us, encouraging us about the qualities of loving-kindness, that there are certain aspects to loving-kindness that make it boundless and the ways in which we can cultivate it to the entire world uh, and actually develop it further. So that's what we'll look at as we go on these last few verses and the last part to uh, the Karaniya Metta Sutta will be the development of insight. So we'll be looking at that as well. And then we'll be looking at the ways that we can meditate using this formula given by the Buddha. We now come to the verse that begins with Mata Yata Niyang Putta Ayusa Ekka Putta Manurake. A mother would guard her one and only child with her own life. Evampi su manasang bhavaye aparimanang. Thus also one should cultivate a mental state or intention toward all living beings that is limitless, immeasurable. 
So here the Buddha is implanting into our minds a very clear image and idea of a mother with unconditional love for her child and she would give up her own life for that child. And this is the uh, simile or uh, idea that the Buddha is implanting that is saying, for us to spread or cultivate loving kindness towards all living beings, if we want it to be limitless, that is unlimited or immeasurable, so having no limits, then this is a frame of mind or an idea that we should adopt. That in that way, if we consider all living beings, as we would to our only child, that we would give up their, our lives for them, then this is the way to actually, this is the quality of, of loving kindness, of metta. And it's quite a strong impression that one gets because if you think about it, we don't actually view uh, our fellow human beings, our fellow living beings, all kinds of living beings in that way, if one were quite honest. But having removed all the ill will, the anger, the hostility, as part of the practice of loving kindness, we are now in a position to actually adopt this kind of view. And there are a couple of suttas that I wanted to bring to our attention because I think the suttas actually help us to see this viewpoint a little clearer, or at least to look at some of the aspects of the Buddha's teachings that support a view that uh, encourages this kind of practice, this kind of quality towards metta. There's a particular chapter in the Sangyutta Nikaya and it's called the Anamatagga Sangyutta and it's about one whose beginning is unknown and it's all about samsara and there are uh, quite a few suttas in relation to samsara that, it, that Buddha is uh, indicating. So um, in essence the Buddha is saying is that samsara is endless and he gives examples of it's like the grass and twigs in India. He also has another sutta that um, says samsara is endless like the great earth. Also that uh, uh, the tears you have shed in samsara are greater than the waters in the oceans. So it's very vast. Also the mother's milk you have drunk in samsara is greater than the waters of the oceans. Again, Buddha goes on by saying, even recollecting 100,000 eons per day, you'll never remember the beginning of samsara. Also that there are more eons than the sands in the, in the Ganges River. And like a stick falling on this, this side or that side, beings are reborn in different realms. And then another one is um, uh, the Pugala Sutta that says, there are bones you've left behind in samsara that are greater than a mountain. And then another one is, the blood you have shed from being slaughtered or beheaded in samsara is greater than the waters in the oceans. So you get the idea that samsara is this very long, long uh, time period that one cannot fathom the beginning of it. Then also part of this um, section or chapter in the Sangyutta Nikaya, it talks about mother, father, brother, sister, son and daughter. Now, the slide that I have here is in relation to both son or daughter. And what these basically say is that it's not easy to find a sentient being who in, in all this long time has not previously been your son or daughter. This is quite enough for you to become disillusioned, dispassionate and freed regarding all conditions. And really, when you look at this, uh, these particular suttas, 
what it gives you this impression is that samsara has been a very very long time and we have traveled this journey through lifetimes through different births and and deaths and everything in between and when you think about it like that when buddha is saying that you can't find a sentient being a living being in this whole period that one hasn't been your son or daughter you realize that there's a certain capacity that one can have when you understand the predicament that uh, when the buddha gives this idea of a mother to a child well if you know that you have been a mother to all these living beings at one time or another then loving kindness or metta can become a lot more real uh, but it's something to contemplate it just doesn't come just because it's said it's something that one needs to contemplate in terms of truth and in terms of really taking that in and and looking at it and i think this particular chapter um which is actually chapter 15 of the sanyutta nikaya so the anama thagga sanyutta it it really helps to actually look at that and there's quite a few suttas there that that um can be can be read and and expanded upon and so i find that quite helpful another sutta also within the uh, same chapter chapter 15 of the sanyutta nikaya this one's called dugatta sutta which is about being miserable and what buddha says is mendicants this sansara has no known beginning no first point is found of sentient beings roaming and wandering on hindered by ignorance and fettered by craving whenever you see someone in a miserable state in distress you can conclude we too have undergone the same thing in this long course So this is another way of also looking at it that there is no first point there is no beginning that can be actually uh identified when it comes to samsara and we have to place our confidence in buddha particularly if we've practiced buddha's teachings before and we've had the good results and we've seen certain truth from buddha's teachings so there's an element that we also believe that uh buddha has um been perfectly enlightened of his own um on on his own merits and also that he actually has the blessings of the the enlightenment that he has developed these certain qualities of being able to to have certain knowledges like the the three uh knowledges that he has which is being able to see past lives being able to see where beings go uh from this this life and also um being able to uproot the taints that's the third knowledge but if you have confidence in the buddha based on one's practice based on what you have understood of the buddha's teachings then this is where you also lean yourself in that direction as well that buddha says that this is another way of seeing that samsara has no beginning and therefore when you understand um the 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 predicament of being in samsara and that one experiences constantly dukkha even though there is temporary happiness at times that one believes there is temporary happiness at times that really all these conditions are constructed and therefore um there is this whole mass of suffering that if you birth this particular body that you know one is subject to old age sickness and death and so when you see that and you see other people or other beings in a miserable state whether they're animals or whether they're other human beings then what you can really say is well we've all gone through the same thing in a very very long journey in samsara 
And from that place, I think that is also quite helpful when it comes to being able to, um, you know, sustain almost like this immeasurable loving kindness, because it's from that knowledge, from that realization that comes from right view, that also comes from certain sadda or confidence, conviction towards the Buddha's teachings, that one can actually uh, cultivate an intention towards other beings that is, I wish you to find right view, I wish you to be free of this suffering, I wish you to get out of samsara at some point now or in the future. And so when the Buddha says, you know, a mother would give up her life for her child, um, all of us may not fully understand that, particularly those that have not had children in this lifetime. So this is another way when one actually can see even certain aspects of our predicament, then it's from that place you can also wish in a more limitless way because we've purified our conduct as best as possible. And even to this point, in order to sustain some sort of unlimited metta, uh, this is another way of doing so. This next verse starts with Cultivate a mental state or intention of loving kindness toward the entire world that is immeasurable or limitless. Udang ado chatiriyancha, upward, downward and across, and asambadang averang asapatang, without obstruction, without hatred, without hostility. In the previous verse, the Buddha was directing us towards this immeasurable quality of loving kindness to all living beings, similar to a mother to a child uh, would give up her life for her only child. And in the same way, when you understand the predicament of sansara, what you really see is that you just consciously move the attention towards the entire world, that nothing is excluded. I think that's one of the things about not limited, no boundaries. It's immeasurable. It can't be measured. It's because it's it's like having purified one's conduct. There is no division. There is no prejudice. There is no bias. There is no preferences. And so that's what the Buddha is saying to the entire world one can actually cultivate loving kindness in such a way that it is boundless. There are no limits. There's nothing that actually limits it. And so then the Buddha goes on about udang ado chatiriyancha. So upward, downward and across. In some translations it comes across as above, below and across. And I've actually revised it to upward, downward and across because I don't kind of like the esoteric implications that come with above and so below. And so my preference is actually to translate it as upward, downward and across. And so there's no misapprehension of anything esoteric there. But with upward, what the Buddha actually says is this re refers to the formless realms. And downwards is uh, essentially the the desire realms or, or sense realms. And uh, across relates to, I guess, the form realm of existence. And so what you do is you actually acknowledge that in the realms of existence, nothing is excluded as well. Those that are in the unfortunate places and those that are in some of the fortunate places, but still not free of samsara. And then across, of course, very similar to this realm, which is a form realm. And 
and there, therefore one actually consciously uh, cultivates metta towards all these realms. And when Buddha talks about without obstruction, without hatred or enmity, without hostility, again Buddha is reminding us that we're not obstructed by hindrances, we're not obstructed by defilements, there's no um, blocks to what we're actually cultivating with loving kindness and if there are then it's something that needs to be looked at but definitely in this instance once you've purified essentially it's an extension a maintenance of the loving kindness and so when you think about without hatred all that uh, practice that we were doing towards the removing of ill will and anger and even the perception of, of ill will or anger when we actually resolved that we are all in the same boat, that we see the misery of going from you know, one lifetime to the next in samsara, what we understand of that, that uh, right view, that we see that everybody else, every living being is in the same predicament and therefore how can one have hatred or enmity towards anyone? How can one sustain that? And also understanding the karmic impact if one were to have those things to, to harbour ill will, to harbour hatred or, or anger, it's a very bad outcome because as, as we've said, we are the owners and heirs to our karma, to our actions. And so when we bear grudges, when we have hostility, these are the things that are very not conducive to loving kindness. So with the removal of all those obstructions, all the resentment, ill will, the purification of those then we are no longer obstructed we're no longer hindered in our practice and there's no confinements to the way that metta can be cultivated and I think this is something that's quite key in, in what Buddha is saying in this particular verse a useful teaching from the Buddha is in the Karaja Kaya Sutta which is in the Nikaya chapter 10 uh, discourse number 219 and it's a, about a body born of uh, impure actions and the Buddha says mendicants I don't say that intentional deeds that have been performed and accumulated are eliminated without being experienced and that may be in the present life or in the next life or in some subsequent period and I don't say that suffering is ended without experiencing intentional deeds that have been performed and accumulated that noble's disciple is rid of desire, rid of ill will, unconfused, aware and mindful. They meditate spreading a mind endowed with loving kindness to one direction and to the second and to the third and to the fourth. In the same way, upwards, downwards, across, everywhere all around they spread a mind endowed with loving kindness to the whole world, abundant, expansive, limitless, free of enmity and ill will. They understand, formerly my mind was limited and undeveloped. Now it's limitless and well-developed. Whatever limited deeds I've done don't remain or persist there. So the Buddha's really emphasizing in the same way how one needs to cultivate this quality of loving kindness, that one has this very unlimited uh, mind uh, that is free, that is, is purified, and in that way it actually overcomes also a lot of karma that uh, the limited deeds that you've done don't remain or persist there. I mean that's quite important in terms of even the 
the gradual training that one one starts to, to form as you start to do more metta bhavana. So I find this actually quite useful. It's actually another one that I'll probably come back to before we finish um, this session on karaniya metta. The next verse goes, Titan charang nisinowa, whether standing, walking, sitting, or sayonowa, ya vatasa vikatamiddo, lying down or as long as one is free of drowsiness, etang sating aditeya, one resolves to remember that brahmang etang viharang idamahu, they have said, in this existence, this is a divine abode or dwelling place. This first part of the verse is really about the postures, that in any of the four postures, whether it's standing, walking, sitting or lying down, as long as one is free of drowsiness, then the rest of this verse applies. So in any posture, one can actually cultivate loving kindness. I think that's the first thing to be said, that if you're standing, one can cultivate loving kindness. If you're walking, that is also a very good way of cultivating loving kindness. Also, when one is sitting, and also when one is lying down. But if you're lying down, of course, the Buddha is saying, be free of drowsiness, uh, middo. Drowsiness in particular, uh, associated with dinamidda, um, that very much is when a hindrance starts to arise. And so that actually blocks one's concentration. Uh, and so there are antidotes for those things. But I think what the Buddha is actually indicating is when you have the quality of loving kindness, then you do your best, uh, especially when you're lying down, if you're taking that posture, not to allow, you have to make extra effort and not to allow certain things to actually arise. And, and that's the way to also maintain it, that if one is feeling slightly sleepy or drowsy, then probably the lying down is not the posture that one would be recommended uh, to, to undertake at that time. Now, the Buddha goes on to say, one resolves to remember that they have said, and by they, it's really the noble ones, that they have said, in this existence, this is a divine abode. So the way I understand this is the Buddha is saying that for the remainder of this life, uh, if one cultivates uh, metta, but not just metta, if, if also one cultivates any of the Brahmaviharas, so that includes karuna, compassion, mudita, the sympathetic joy, or even upeka, which is equanimity, then the noble ones, the Buddha, has said that this is the divine abode, this is the place where you you actually allow your mind to be, that if you cultivate these um divine abodes, it's actually a, a favorable place for the rest of one's life and, and thereafter. So there are numerous suttas about certain uh, beings who have cultivated loving kindness for seven years straight and they've ended up in very, very amazing uh, rebirths as kings and and still cultivating the loving kindness. They've, they've been there for a very long time and there are a number of suttas that uh, indicate um, how blessed one's uh, destination can be and one's rebirth can be in that sense that it is considered a divine abode even beyond this particular existence, but very much that uh, in cultivating the qualities of, of loving kindness, the Buddha is reminding us that in this particular existence, even for the remainder of our lives, if we are to cultivate loving kindness, even as a refuge, as a uh, Brahma Vihara, as a divine abode or dwelling place, that is a very good thing.
And that's something that Buddha is asking us to resolve upon. Aditya is like you make a aditana, a, a resolution, a determination to do it. And this is in contrast to resolving on sense pleasures. This is something Buddha does not recommend because one would be burning. And so uh, Buddha's recommendation in this verse is very much the quality of metta is one where you can actually abide. And the reasoning for it is that uh, metta, karuna, mudita, upeka, they're very wholesome, uh, skillful, good uh, places or good uh, quality um, practices because you're actually cultivating the skillful. One needs a certain amount of purity in order to sustain and, and even develop uh, so when it comes to loving kindness metta then it's it's good to actually resolve or determine to remember it's a it's a divine abode and it's a place that one can cultivate and abide in the mind rests or abides in a happy place in a place of purity in a place of virtue it's free of ill will it's free of any kind of divisiveness there's a unification that comes in that is is very wholesome it doesn't exclude anyone any living being there are two suttas that i just wanted to mention and this is the first of them uh, this is called Dutya Saraniya Sutta. It's in the Anguttara chapter 6, discourse 12. It's on amiability or warm-heartedness. And the Buddha talks about six different conditions that are conducive to this warm-heartedness or amiability. And, and this is what engenders feelings of endearment, engender feelings of respect. Uh, it leads to a sense of fellowship, a lack of disputes in community leads to harmony and a state of unity. And what was interesting about this was three of the six are actually around loving kindness, around metta. And the first one is around bodily, like uh, bodily acts of, of uh, loving kindness. Uh, the second is verbal acts of loving kindness. And the third one is mental acts of loving kindness. So the reason I wanted to mention this sutta is because in a mundane sense, there is a kind of, in a way, a divine abiding because if one is endeared to others, uh, people uh, give respect, uh, have a sense of fellowship and there's a sense of harmony as opposed to disputes and therefore a, a sense of unity when it comes to our Dhamma groups, our families, our friends, our work colleagues, etc. This is almost like a mundane divine abiding uh, from cultivating loving kindness through body, speech and mind. And so that's something to also take on board that one should see this start to manifest in one's relationships with people, that people actually sense this warm-heartedness in you, uh, this, this friendliness, this amiability, even simplicity, like all the different uh, virtues that loving kindness uh, brings with it that we were cultivating and discussing at the start. Uh, these are all the things that lend themselves to this manifesting in, in real life. And so when you have that, when you're able to cultivate that, that's also a very good thing. So the second sutta that I wanted to bring up is this Makadeva Sutta. It's in the Majjhimanakaya or Middle Length Discourses and it's discourse number 83. And it's about King Makadeva and his lineage. And the, the sutta actually goes through the story of the lineage of, of kings and their virtuous tradition that was um, 
broken as a result of negligence. But the Buddha was actually talking about how they cultivated loving kindness, a very good practice of loving kindness. But what he said about it, even though it was broken, but in respect of the loving kindness practice that was that was given, which meant that there were a lot of good results. But what the Buddha said was, but that good practice doesn't lead to disillusionment, dispassion, cessation, peace, insight, awakening and extinguishment. It only leads as far as rebirth in the Brahma realm. But now I have found a good practice that does lead to disillusionment, dispassion, cessation, peace, insight, awakening and extinguishment. And what is that good practice? It is simply this noble eightfold path. That is right view, right thought, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness and right concentration. This is the good practice I have now founded that leads to disillusionment, dispassion, cessation, peace, insight, awakening and extinguishment. And I thought this particular sutta was quite useful in the sense that although we cultivate loving kindness, it's also useful to know it only gets us to a certain point, that it is a divine abiding in this very life, in this current existence. But I think as we lead into this last section, in particular about the verses of the Karaniyametta Sutta, the development of insight, this is a good place to actually close this one section and open the next one in that the cultivation of loving kindness is a very wholesome practice and it, it goes as far as the Brahma realm which means that one becomes a non-returner because one won't return to the if you fulfill um, the metta bhavana it will fulfill up to uh, anagami so non-return and that's a very wholesome thing because at that point one can actually uh finish it off from 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 that place if one doesn't finish it in this life and but having said that at the same time it's also good to know the distinction that the buddha uh, draws out which is it doesn't lead to necessarily nibbana if you just practice loving kindness but you can develop insight which is the next um, part of uh, the closing part of the karaniya metta sutta which we'll cover next